with life, sin. Good morning, everybody. Welcome today to Bible study here. Wonderful to be with you this morning and to think about God's word a little bit as we relax together and, and just just rest in, in God's word for a little while. Let me begin with a prayer. Let us pray. We give you hearty thanks for the rest of the past night and for the gift of a new day with its opportunities of pleasing you. Grant that we may so pass its hours in the perfect freedom of your service, that at eventide we may again give thanks unto you. Amen. Well, we're beginning a new study today. We're going to take a look at the letter of Paul to the Philippians. And we're going to talk about that place and think about those times and those people of long ago. And then we're going to do some background looking at the background of Philippians as it is given to us in the book of Acts. We can't just race right into the letter without thinking about the context and the background of, of that letter. So um, what, what I want to do is read a passage from Acts. We, we've already studied the book of Acts and we passed over this. We went through it before, but we're going to roll back to it now and look at it again here. In the 16th chapter and verse 6 describes the journey that Paul is making missionary journey and how he goes to Philippi and what he encounters there. So we begin at uh, Acts 16 verse 6. They went through the region of Phygia and Galatia having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they'd come opposite Mysia they attempted to go to Bithynia but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing through Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul in a vision, there stood a man of Macedonia, pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothria, and following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there, a certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Tiresia and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged them, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come stay in my home. And she prevailed upon us. 
there ends this first reading from the book of Acts here. Now, let me inform you that this is a journey where Paul is guided by the Holy Spirit. You ever had a journey like that? Have you ever been somewhere because God told you to go there or prevented you from going somewhere you were planning on going but shifted the ground on you and sending you somewhere else? Well, this text is like that. You get this story of some of the occasions when Paul put the brakes on and instead of turning right, turns left. And this is significant because the Holy Spirit is in charge of this, this whole journey. And he wants him to go down to the plain of Troy, by the old uh, story of the Greek, Greeks and Trojans. But there in Troas, he makes a journey across the sea there. And he goes to Macedonia. And from Macedonia up into the hills to the little town, town of Philippi, which is still there. Philippi, incidentally, is, is still there. There's a town there, a sizable town now, in, in that mountain area. And it's look, if you, if you ever, like I've told you before, that Google Earth thing, if you ever get a chance to get on your computer and go Google Earth, you can go right down the street level in that town of Philippi, and you can look around and see what, what's going on. But, but one of the things that I like to do is to look at what the, what the scenery looks like, what the hills look like. And Philippi is surrounded by mountains, mountainous area. Wonderful, rich history of Philippi. One of the larger towns in Paul's day in that area. It was a town where a great Roman Civil War battle had taken place. The Romans got to fighting each other there. And many were killed. And the town actually became a place for invalids of soldiers. And there were lots of soldiers in Philippi. In fact, it was a Roman town. It had the civil rights of a Roman town. It was a, a place that Paul was going to. Now, Paul goes there, guided by the Spirit, and ran down to a river. And he runs into a woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, and other women there on the Sabbath day. Down by the water, down by the water. Now, there's a, uh, like in everything else in the Holy Land, there's a church built over that now, over that place. That's a baptistry church. It's a round church. And that's where uh, tradition says that this encounter took place. Because the Philippian church was strong it, from its very infancy up through at least two, three hundred years. They were sending bishops the great councils of Rome. Philippi was a strong Christian community known for its, its, its love and its joy. Now, also, the story goes on. Sometime later, Paul encounters a, a, a person who's, who's uh, ha is possessed by darkness and he casts the darkness out of this woman and she happened to have been it's a, a, a business of divination. She was a, perhaps a fortune teller. Who knows what? But she was making money for somebody and it made her mad. And she reported Paul and Silas to the magistrate who had them beaten and put in jail. That night the Lord came by an earthquake, opened it up, and out they came. And now this is important too because it began the process of learning that Paul's whole 
stuff here. All the work that's going on there is a result of being able to be moved from point A to point B by the Holy Spirit of God. And it, it, it behooves us to ask ourselves the same question. Are we so sedimentary that we can't go from A to B to do a new ministry in a new place for the Lord? That's why uh, mission trips are so wonderful. Because nobody's ever been on one that I don't know about hadn't prayed about it first. <laughs> because it's a, a new journey and a new place and a new time. And, and man, it, it's spooky to do that, to get yourself over to something like that. But well worth it. Now, if we turn to the work of Philippians itself, this is a letter by St. Paul that brings to mind well, it brings to mind love because love is what he does. He establishes a community based and founded on love. And I want to turn you to uh, the book of Philippians itself and begin now to bring you up to speed to where I'm going with this text today, just to verse 11, I think. Uh, let me begin reading it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, and to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy for every one of, of my prayers for all of you, because you are sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to think this way about all of you, because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Jesus Christ. This is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight and to help you determine what is best so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God there ends the reading of the opening of Philippians now what I'm doing with this this morning is just breaking it into two parts. This is a letter. This is a beginning of a letter. Here's a salutation, verses 1 through 2. And then on from verse 3 to 11 is a particular prayer of thanksgiving for the Philippian community. Now, if you drop back and look at the salutation, where he says, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find this same salutation 
in the other letters, the prison letters especially, like Ephesians, we looked at that together, you remember, and Galatians. This is a formal way of writing in that day. It's the same thing as if I wrote you a letter and I put, dear, your name. Or I wrote my grandmother and I said, dear grandma, I love you so much, Jean. Sincerely, Jean. So there's a conclusion, just like a opening salvo of salutation that's identical. So when you, when you study the letters, you must look to see what, what about them are shared one to the other. This is one of those things that is shared. It's a beautiful thing to say. How do you write your letter? How do you write your notes to those to those you love or want to talk to? Do you write like everybody else or do you write like a Christian? Huh? Think about that a little bit. Maybe your salutation isn't quite enough of what it is you're really trying to do with your life and with your words. Well, I, I caused me to think about it anyway. Maybe it will you. <laughs> but it sure did me because all I do is write, Dear so-and-so, Dear Joe. <laughs> Send me some money. <laughs> Sincerely, Gene. <laughs> and it, it, it makes no sense because it's just a, a, a too fast, too short, and no time spent with it. When I say dear somebody, what do I mean when I say dear? Oh, Paul means something by that. When he said, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do, do you know what I did with this thing? When I first time I read it just recently, came to my mind. What I did was I just when I when I breathe in, I breathe in the word. No, when I breathe out, I breathe out. Yeah, when I breathe in, I breathe in the word grace. Breathe out peace. In grace, out peace. So I'm and I'm taking walks, walking along the sidewalk. Left foot grace, right foot peace. You know just. Take your time with it. These two things make life worth living. Especially makes a person worth living with. Somebody who's graceful and peaceful. We're anything but today. I'm, I live up here near D.C. They're just shooting one another all day long up here with pistols. I mean, it's a time when it's spooky just to walk down sidewalks sometimes. Because... The thing that's lacking is grace and peace. Grace and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, see, this had come now fresh to the people of Philippi. And they were gathering under this anointing. Oh, by the way, that baptistry church there is still there. You can visit there. You, you, if you think about it a little bit, you'd like to see what it looked like. You go online and just put in there the baptistry of Lydia. Baptistry of Lydia. It'll take you there and show you pictures of it. The interior is made out of polished marble. Some of the most beautiful I've ever seen in the whole wide world. But that was a, a special place in early Christian life. Now, we move from the salutation into the thanksgiving. So he's being particular about why it is that he prayers for these people. What what is he doing when you when somebody says, I'm praying for you? Well that that's wonderful. What does that mean? Does that mean that you uh, uh you know who I am? I mean do you know what my problem is? When you pray, how often do you pray? 
every day, once a week, maybe never. <laughs> How do you pray? How do you pray for me? Do you pray fervently? Do you pray open-heartedly? Do you pray? Oh, what 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 exactly do you pray when you pray for me? Because I got specific needs. I mean, what 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 do you pray when you pray for me? Well, these are the things that Paul talks about in this little text when he talks to this this church. This is upfront and personal. First the salutation, and now he's telling them why they're special and why he's praying for them. First thing he says, who am I praying? Who is he praying for? Well, he's praying for the pastors, the deacons, and all the Christians at Philippi. You see that in right up front there in, in verse 1 and 2. These Greek words break apart in an interesting way because it, it uh, the word is episcopal. It, it, he prays for the Episcopal, that is the leaders, and he prays for the diaconal, the deacons, the ones that are doing the work, and he prays for the lay people that are holding the church together. They were necessary in that day to accomplish the task of preaching and teaching. And he prays for all of them. All of, all of those people need prayers. I don't know if you ever thought about it or not, but your bishop needs your prayers, your preacher needs your prayers. Your neighbor needs your prayers. But uh, who, do you, who do you pray for? Because sometimes, you know, praying has to have somebody at the other end of the line. Uh, and, and you can discern who that is by praying. Say, Lord, who do you want me to pray for today? It may, it may surprise you who it is he wants you to pray for. But at Philippi, he asked them to pray for the church itself structure of the church as in leadership of this church so he does that and and when does he pray well well he does he says that he prays for them every time i think of you verse three there every time i think of you i pray for so prayer has become for paul a sort of an internal affirmation of the recognition of somebody in other words he's in a constant state of prayer I know this seems weird to think about it, but I've known people who walked around almost in a constant state of prayer. I know people who take things called prayer walks. I don't know if you've heard of it before or ever done it, but uh, I served a church one time that had this elderly woman in it who took what she called prayer walks. One day a week in the afternoon, she would walk all through the community and go up to the, somebody's house and stand on the sidewalk and pray for the people inside. It was a weird situation to see. I mean, because she would be obviously doing that, and people would think, well, my God, that goes Miss Marjorie again. She, she's praying up and down the street. What are we going to do with her? <laughs> Couldn't do nothing with her, because what she was doing was, was a work of God. And people began to join her. I thought that was so strange. One day I looked up down, there was three ladies out there. And then another day, four. And she got the whole crowd walking this prayer walk during Holy Week and found somebody to carry a cross. And the next thing you know, that little town had a procession of people from the church bravely going up and down that street with it, carrying that cross. It was a powerful thing to see. And it all came out of that little prayer walk because 
she was walking, thinking, walking, thinking, praying, thinking, walking. If you let prayer, prayer is not just something that you get down on your knees and do five o'clock every afternoon. I know I've done that. But it's more to it than that. It's walking around in a state of prayer. And how does he pray? Well, he says that he prays with a heart full of joy. Heart full of joy. In verse 4. Heart full of joy. You see, you're going to come to see that one of the major components of Philippians is joy. The Greek word charis. Charis, joy. Joy, just plain long joy. You take charis and you put it with mata, which is a Greek word for power. And what do you got? Charis mata. you got powerful joy. That's all charismatic is. Somebody is joyful and powerful at the same time. They come together and they kiss one another. Pow! See? The Holy Ghost of God is in the midst of that. Now, how he prays, this heart filled with joy. How do you pray? You pray sadly, you know, oh my God, I've got to pray for that grandson again. He's about to worry me to death. Well, pray with joy. In other words, flip that from a negative to a positive. Approach the Lord in a joyful, with a joyful heart. Lord, is in control anyway. You might as well go to him with joyful heart because, because after all, the Lord's prayer just reminds you that thy will be done. I mean, he's going to do his will. The only thing we can do is, is, is just let him know that we're concerned and, and do it with joy, 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 joy. Well, I don't know if I, there are more Christian hymns written about joy, I think, than anything else. And particularly, uh, the gospel is associated with joy. Joy, the freedom and joy that Jesus Christ gives. A heart filled with joy. The cardia, the cardiac, it means that you have joy, chorus, in your heart. That's one of the first things I learned in Portuguese down there praying on a mission trip. <laughs> cardia, cardia. In, in, in my cardia, I could say that. And in my, in my heart, I was trying to say in my, in my heart. And to people that I was praying for, and they understood me. Understood me. Well, that's 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 how he prayed. But he, we've got to get to the why of the why. Why does Paul pray? And you see this in verse five and seven and eight. The Philippians believers have rendered assistance to Paul both in and out of prison. See. The reason he's praying for them is not that he doesn't love them. It's because they're taking care of him. From very early on, the Philippian church was a great supporter of St. Paul's ministry and his work. And no matter who you are, you need support. You need prayerful support. And he prayed for them because they have rendered him a great assistance. And he's writing this from jail, incidentally, and probably so, so scholars say this letter, Ephesians and, and Galatians, were written in jail. So that what happens is from a prison, prison attitude, he is writing them, thanking them for the assistance that they have given him in so many ways. If you do any kind of ministry and somebody supports you in that ministry, then you're going to feel empowered. You're going to feel empowered. And you can bless somebody with, with uh, some sort of a gift. 
It doesn't have to be a big gift. It can be a small gift. I was in New York City some time ago, and I went to the uh, uh, Cathedral of St. John's in New York City. And it's a, a lonesome-looking thing, huge. It's, it's bigger than the National Cathedral. But it's a great big church, and it, but it's dark, kind of cold inside. One of them there that Sunday, you know, we, it was just a small little old crowd. You know, many of our biggest churches ain't got nobody in them no more. And I just was going to put my offering in the plate, and I put $100 in the plate that, that particular Sunday. And we left and come on back to Virginia thinking it was all over. Do you know I still get a letter from them people every year <laughs> sending, <laughs> hoping that I'll send them a few dollars more? See, they don't forget. They just don't forget. People that, that are blessed by ministry will remember you forever and ever. I know the churches that I've served, you wouldn't think that this is necessary, but it is necessary to know who's giving you what. It's necessary. Because you'd be surprised who, who, who has the back, the gift of love in their hearts. And, and, and you, you know, you'd be surprised as to why they give, who they give. Had a lady one time that just, just was one of the major supporters of the church. When, when I discovered she was, I was so surprised. She was a substitute school teacher, substitute elementary school teacher, living on a small income. And I went to visit her. And she showed me her Bible. She held up her Bible. And it looked like something had been chewing on it. She had read that Bible from cover to cover. And that was the biggest giver in a little church that I had. And I never forgot that. Because I started praying for her. And many others like her. Because it was because of their support that the whole thing was working in the first place. Well, that's why he prays. Why do you pray? Why? You know why? Sometimes you can bless God by praying. Sometimes you can bless by your gifts and bless God. Because he was a great assistance. They were a great assistance to the Apostle Paul, both in prison and out of prison. What does he pray? What what actually does he pray? Well, you read that in verse 6 and then 9 and 11, that God's word would be carried to its completion in every believer until the return of Christ. That struck me as a little complicated, so I had to look at that closer. The Word of God is carried to completion. See, the Word of God is a living thing. It's ongoing. It hasn't quit and become stone. It's, it's liable to come true any minute in the sense that God in Christ is coming back. And those people were looking for God to come back any minute until the return of Christ. He wanted them to get with it, get straight, get better, Get perfect because Christ Jesus was coming around the corner. But just that, the way they looked at it. And, the, and he, in verse 9, he said that they may be filled with love. Filled with love. Are you filled with love? I try to be filled with love. But sometimes I get so much hatred in me that it just pushes it out of the way. And I, get, I forget that the main thing is love. Who you love and what you love is important. Not just... And not just that you love namelessly, but love your wife, love your mother, love your children, love your grandchildren. If you're not in a vacuum of love, it loves to be expressed outward, outwardly, that they might have love and be filled with love. 
And then he prays also that they, in verse 10, that they might have the spirit of discernment. And that's that's very important for a church to have. They got to know what they bring. They got to figure out through discernment. You don't just pray for everything. You try to let the Lord lead you into, into the process of discernment to be able to figure out what it is you're going to pray about and what it is you're going to pray. That's discernment. And then he says that, uh, that, that in verse 11 that they may be filled with the fruits of righteousness or of salvation. Righteousness or holiness is a natural outcome of that. That's, that's the way that works. So, what we have covered here now is this interesting opening of Philippians. And by the way, this is a short things and verses in them that we have used in the church and out of the church down through rejoicing the Lord always. I cannot say anything. He's got diamonds. This Que nunca 